Well, good morning, everyone. Two preachers in one day, how about that? Is that value or what? Bless you, Albert. Wasn't that good to hear? The passion of the evangelist to share God's word, and uh, we thank God for that. I need a Bible. That's what I do need. There we go. Wonderful. Well, I've got a confession to start with. Um, I'm not ready for Christmas. Those of you that know me know that's not a great surprise. Um, Judith is more ready than me. Cards are written or getting written. And uh, I, I did do a little bit around the two buildings yesterday just to help out where I could. Um, but at home, it looks no different to normal, I'm afraid. So uh, I'm, I'm not ready. That's not a great surprise. But I, I've got a Christmas background on my PowerPoint, so I'm starting. Um, and what I want to do today is to, to link where we've been with where we're going. So we've been looking at, for a few weeks, this theme of fruitful living and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, 23. Um, But we're heading into Christmas. And I didn't just want to finish one and start the other. and I wanted a bridge between these two. And we're going to do that, obviously, relatively briefly this morning to to bridge, because I think there's important stuff going on that can help us today and over the next few weeks particularly. Um, as we read this scripture again and just reflect on what God wants to say to us. So I'm going to read these couple of verses, and then we're going to get into God's word uh, together. Galatians 5, verse 22. It's on your screen, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is the evidence of the Spirit at work in our lives. Um, We want to see God at work in our lives. And Paul's saying, this is how you know if God's Holy Spirit's at work in your lives today. And I think there's a challenge when it comes to Christmas, particularly there's a challenge between our our sense of expectation with the reality that we sometimes get. Um, There's a a sense of build-up. And you've been seeing it around town recently, or maybe up in London if you work up there. But the the pace is hotening. It's getting faster, isn't it? It's hotting up. And the, the, the build-up's beginning. Maybe it's been a bit slower this year, but the build-up's beginning, and people are getting excited and passionate and rushing around and driving a little bit more crazily and pushing past each other in the shops, and all this stuff's going on. And we kind of forget that there's a deeper principle at work in this season, and I want to look briefly at that today. See, this is meant to be a season of love and laughter and peace and joy and goodwill to all men. But if you've been to Blue Water recently, you might wonder where that's all gone. Um, or Lakeside or the town centre or had a big meal with some relatives and maybe it didn't quite go to plan. Maybe your Christmas tree was meant to look like the one on the left <laughs> and it turned out looking like the one on the right. Um, that apparently is a comparison shot of what it was meant to look like and um, yeah, it didn't quite match up. And maybe you feel like life's a little bit like that at the moment or that you'd planned for Christmas to be really exciting and the relatives coming and you've had this in years gone by where you've set out your great plans and, and actually it didn't quite work out the way you wanted. <laughs> this is one of those staged baby shots where the parents have got a, seen an image and they've tried to recreate it and it didn't quite work as you can see. Uh, there, where expectations different to reality. And, uh, and you know, around all this season, what's really going on is there's a much, much deeper call at work. There's, there's a call, there's two actually, 
I believe that are happening in, in this season and, and all the time. God is calling to people. We've been hearing that today. Albert stood on this step and was calling on God's behalf and saying, God is calling you to come. But also creation's calling as well. The Bible talks about creation calling out and groaning and, and waiting for the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, to be revealed. Waiting for people to live as they should. People to live under God's lordship and to, to live with him as king. And there's this dual call that's being issued, one from God, one from creation itself. And, and we kind of miss all that as we get busy and do our stuff and go through life. And I, I want to speak into that today. Because no matter how good your decorations are, there's a time that they're back in the box and back in the cupboard again or up in the loft. And they've all gone away. You see, this is a season where the lights go on and it's glitz and it's glamour and it's, it's all pretty and, and it's nice around but when it goes away again, when it's all packed up in the box, doesn't it feel empty? You know, at home you wander around and you go, oh, it's a bit dim, isn't it? A bit dull. Wish I could put a few more lights up. When all the cards come down and you've read them all again and you've, you realize there were four people you didn't write back to and all the rest of it, and oh, gosh, I should have written a card to them, and, and you pack them all away again. And there can be a feeling that, oh, it's, it's gone. It's, it's done for another season. But yet beneath all that, there's a much deeper principle at work. There's a much deeper call at work as God's calling to people and creation's calling too. I believe that this sense of fruitful living, this living in the life of the Spirit is what the world needs. It's what we need too. And I want to look at each one of these aspects of fruit really quickly and see where God is at work in them today. Um, I'll just flip over that one. So firstly, love. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is because it's of the Spirit, it's no surprise that God's character is being displayed. This isn't just a random list. This is a list that's outworked as God is at work because each of them reflect God. Paul wasn't just writing a list and going, oh, here's a few good things. He's writing things that reflect God's character and nature. And so when God's Spirit's at work, as, as we're expecting God to be in each Christian, these are the things that should be outworked amongst us, and we see them in God too. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the world, says this, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Similarly, a much smaller letter written at the back of the Bible, very similar theme. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We were reminded last week that fruit is not action, that it's deeper than that, that it's, it's more fundamental than that. The Spirit's at work forming our character, and yet we also know that when the Spirit's at work forming our character and we have these traits, they have to be shown in action. We know, for example, that it's no good just saying, well, it's part of my character if you can't see it. Love is perhaps the greatest and most obvious example of this. If someone says to you, I love you, and every single action they display contradicts that statement, you begin to call into question the statement. You go, well, you're saying you love me, but it don't look like it, and it doesn't feel like it, and I can't see it, and where is it? And, and actually, love isn't a feeling. It's not a feeling that we go, oh, I love them, and that's my feeling, and that's enough. Love is demonstrated. It's a, a commitment to continue loving, continue demonstrating 
what goes deeper than our feeling. This fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. And so we, it results in a change in what we do, a change in our actions, a change in how we live. God's love is passionate. God's love burns through the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever done a Bible in a year plan. I encourage you to. If you've not done that, read the whole Bible through. Um, it's good to do year after year after year just to keep reading through. You absorb God's word. You get a sense of the big picture of what God's saying. But as you read through this book, page after page after page burns with the love of God. God loves you. And he loves me. And he loves those that don't yet know him. He loves us with a passion that roars. It's consuming. We can read passages in the Old Testament which speak about the holiness of God and and it can seem as if his holiness is all-consuming, but I want to say his love is all-consuming too. God's love is overwhelming and amazing. It protects and rescues and gives and provides and calls today. Let me move on. I'm going to need to obviously rush through these, but that's okay. Joy. In the Christmas story, where do we see joy? If we see God's love in the Christmas story, where do we see joy? Well, Luke chapter 1 just recounts the time when Mary, Jesus' mum-to-be, has gone to meet Elizabeth, her relative. And Elizabeth at this point is pregnant. And as Mary goes to meet her, this is the, the story that unfolds. And we read this, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You're blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. That's an amazing passage, isn't it? Slightly mind-blowing, but an amazing passage that John, in his mum's womb, leaps for joy. At the sound of Mary's greeting, there's joy running through this whole account, running through this whole story. We read on when the shepherds are being greeted by the angels and who turn up to, to speak to them and tell them what's going on. Uh, it says, don't be afraid, the angel says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I want to tell you today, and just show today that not only is the love of God shown in this Christmas story, but the joy of God is shown as well. God is joyous and rejoicing over his people. And the Bible tells us that when one person repents, when one sinner, one person turns around and says, I want to follow you, there is rejoicing in heaven. So as one person has responded today, heaven is going wild. So there's a rejoicing going on as God and all of heaven delight in what's happening. How much does God rejoice over you and over me? The Bible says he rejoices over us with singing. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Unless your singing is like some of our singing. We're maybe not, we, yeah, and you go for that high note and you don't quite hit it. You go for the beat and you don't quite make it. But God rejoices over us with singing. He's delighting over his people. One of the marks of uh, genuine church families should be rejoicing. Love and joy should be bubbling up from us and evident because of the work of the Spirit. 
peace. Where do we see peace in the Christmas story? Because we want to get from fruit of the Spirit to Christmas, and we want to see how this ties in with our lives. Peace. That same declaration, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God to those with whom God is pleased. And then later on, Paul picks up on this theme in Romans. He says this, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. This is an incredibly significant promise or declaration. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. It's very easy when we're recreating the Christmas story and the narrative and the the scenery to, to portray a peaceful scene. We portray beauty, we try to. We try and portray things that are pretty and nice and seemly and good to us. When, when the kids next week are performing here and at our other site as well, and they're portraying aspects of the Christmas story, it'll be fun, it'll be challenging, it'll be all sorts of things. Uh, but we won't expect to be too shocked and too repulsed by what's happening we'll expect a kind of goodness and seemliness to what's going on. And when we recreate the Christmas story, there's always, it always looks nice. But the story in the Bible around this period of time is anything but nice. It's a bit brutal. It's a bit difficult and challenging. And, and you've got some really terrible stuff happening. King Herod slaughtering loads of infants in a town called Bethlehem. It's not peaceful. And people have wrestled with this sense of a declaration of peace on earth. Where's the peace amongst all these wars? Where, where is it? But if we read more closely, we'll get a clue to what's going on. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There's not a declaration of universal lack of pain and suffering, lack of war, lack of challenge. This is a declaration that something has changed on this day. Peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. It's narrowing down the perspective. Because this is responding to that ancient break that's happened in the world where in the, back in Genesis we see that the world was made and people were made in relationship with God and people were made in relationship with each other. But there was a fracturing that took place because people chose to go their own way away from God. And this fracturing resulted in a break in relationship between God and people, a break in relationship between people and each other, and a break in relationship between people and the world. Which is why there's this ancient cry for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Even creation's crying out. There's a sense that something's not right. And we live with this sense in us. People have it. As you walk around the streets, people, people aren't daft. They know there's something wrong in the world. And many of us spend our lives trying to fix it and we discover that we can't fix it by ourselves. We discover that only God can. And he is and he has and he's working on his plan to bring peace to all people, starting with those with whom God is pleased. It's a different kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that banishes enmity that restores relationship, that where there's been this brokenness and fracturing, God says, do you know what? This isn't time. To, it's not the day to stay broken. It's a day to see that restored and to see peace. Peace between God and man. Peace between people together. And peace between people and creation that we will see realized fully one day. 
Peace isn't found when your relatives have gone home and the house is quiet and the decorations are down and it's just still. That's just the absence of grief for a bit. It's, it's not peace deeply. That's just quiet. And there's a difference. Peace is this restoration of an ordained relationship with God that was designed from the beginning of, before the beginning of time that we're meant to be living in and we live with fracture between each other. It's so easy to fall out. We fall out over the simplest things. We, we live with fracture between us and God and we, we persist in trying to break that relationship and God wants to bring peace and restoration and reconciliation there. More to say on that we'll move on. Patience. Where do we see God's patience? in this Christmas story to help us with these fruits of the Spirit. How about this as a great passage? I've been reading through uh, the, the, the Bible uh, just on a, one of these Bible a year plans and I've got to the end, the little minor prophets at the back end of the Old Testament. I read this but in Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village amongst all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from distant past. How God had waited. God, God knew what was going to happen, set a plan in place to bring restoration and reconciliation, spoke the truth, spoke the word, and then waited for it to be fulfilled. I'm glad God is patient. I'm glad that God is patient to fulfill his promises. I'm glad he's patient with me and with you. Because if he wasn't, we'd be in real trouble, wouldn't we? If God wasn't patient to us today. And with us today, God is patient. Let me just look at this next verse quickly. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. At just the right time. Probably sufficient for me to say God is never late. He came just at the right time. And it may be that you're hanging on today. Because you've prayed a prayer and you haven't yet seen the answer. I just want to declare today, God is never late despite what you may feel despite what people say people had waited hundreds of years for the promise of God but at the right time Jesus died kindness I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago not going to say much more than just to declare God's kindness through this story we see Joseph's relationship with Mary the angels visiting them just beforehand to, to talk through and explain what's going on so that they, they wouldn't split up, so the relationship wouldn't fall apart. We see someone opening their home for Joseph and Mary to, to go to that Jesus might be born. We see the, the Magi bringing their gifts to Joseph and Mary and to worship Jesus. We see God coming to shepherds. We see God coming to these Magi, these kind of astrologer figures, really weird guys. We see God's kindness again and again and again. And the encouragement is that we too should be kind. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Goodness is really linked to kindness. And we see God's goodness displayed in contrast to the wickedness of humanity. God is good where Herod is not. And it stands in contrast. We see God's faithfulness. If you're reading through the Gospels in preparation for Christmas, and that's another great thing to do, um, you'll get to Matthew, and this is a, a bit to skip sometimes. That's how you feel about it when you're reading. But I just encourage you to read through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. 
And Matthew starts with this list of who was whose dad. Not an exciting list, is it? Necessarily, until you look at it with a slightly different perspective. Not only are there four women in there who are very significant, and it's worth focusing on them, but also we've got this story of God's faithfulness through generation to generation to generation to generation. And it's there before we get to the Christmas story. It's there before we get to the birth of Jesus. And it's not only tracing Jesus' lineage to demonstrate who he is. I believe it's speaking about God's faithfulness. And so this is a faithful God. He's been faithful to generation after generation after generation. And as you read down the list, you get some right rogues on this list. Really, really messed up people. And yet God was faithful again and again and again and again. God is gentle. Now, Sanya spoke about that last week. I, I don't want to kind of divert from what he said. He left us with a, a great message. That word gentleness is, is very close and it's linked to the word meekness. Some Bible tra- actually translate it as meekness. And we see the gentleness of God displayed in a, in a very messy situation as he humbles himself to be born. James started the service today with this sense of God's awesomeness, God's majesty. And, and it blows my mind to think how God could deign to humble himself so much that he would live like this and be utterly dependent. How does God show self-control? Well, I think it goes on through the pages of Scripture. When Jesus is born, all hell breaks loose. God doesn't fight. Instead, Jesus and his parents go off to Egypt for a bit and come back and Jesus grows up. And for 30 years, roughly, he grows and grows and grows. And there's this sense of self-control. I wonder how many times, even after he was baptized in a ministry, how many times it would have been so easy for Jesus to take a different route. But he didn't. He took the route of the work of the Spirit in his life, showing itself in self-control. As he's on the cross and he sort of around that time talks about, don't you know I could call down thousands, legions of angels to deal with this? And again and again, God shows his self-control. Let me wrap up this brief summary of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Very quickly. If we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives, it's not going to come as a result of seeing in the list and trying really hard. It's only going to come as a result of letting God be at work in our lives. It's only going to come as a result of letting the Spirit of God start his work in our lives and display that day after day after day in our actions, in our living, in our attitudes, in all that we do and all that we have. What, do we, well, what about Christmas then? What do we do at Christmas? How do we live? How, how do we put these things into practice at a time which can be quite tense and quite challenging and quite exciting and quite fun and a whole load of expectations, some of which get met and some of which don't? My encouragement would be simple. This year, don't measure Christmas by the presents under the tree or the meals or the family or the coming and going or anything else, but strip it back. Strip it right back to the King of Kings. 
strip it right back to the one who promised and was faithful to his promise, to the one who came in humility, to the one who gave as a demonstration of his love, the one who fulfilled every aspect of this sense of the Spirit being at work where God himself is seen as holy and wonderful and loving and overwhelming. In the middle of the hustle and bustle, in the middle of the next few weeks, let's not try and make it work ourselves. Let's not just try and be peaceful and try and be patient and try and build these things because we're going to fail. Let's start by coming back and saying, God, you are all those. This is who you are. Let me adore you. Let me worship you. Let me delight in you. God, let me have my priorities straight this year because all sorts of stuff's going on around me. I don't just want to lose sight of you at all. I want to hold on to you tightly. That when anyone looks at my life, they might see your fruitfulness displayed in me. I wonder if we could pray. There's a call that's echoing around the world today for us to be the people God has called us to be. And my prayer is simple, that we would be a people who are restored to him, restored to each other, and demonstrating his love and his fruit. Lord, we thank you that we can know you. Thank you that we've been able to respond to a call to know you today and that you are changing our lives. Lord, at this, in this season, we are really looking forward, some of us, to a few days off. We're looking forward to uh, some chance to catch up with friends. We're looking forward to an opportunity to tell people that we love them. We're looking forward to an opportunity to do all sorts of things over these coming weeks. Uh, and yet, Lord, we recognize that all of that is a pale it pales in comparison to what you've done for us and your wonder and your majesty. And, and Lord, I haven't been able today to trace all of that out. Uh, Lord, but as we reflect simply on the Christmas story, the narrative of what happened thousands of years ago, we see your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, and so on through each one of those fruit, each one of the aspects of fruitfulness. And Lord, we want to reflect that in our lives we recognize that you've called us to relationship with you before anything else and you've called us then to live out that relationship amongst others in a way that glorifies you and lord there'll be times over these coming weeks when all of us are under a bit of stress all of us are excited and all of us are tired and hoping the whole thing goes away there'll be all sorts of feelings Lord, in the middle of all of it, we pray that we would have a vision of you that burns brightly, that we would see your love and be overwhelmed by it, that we'd know your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your gentleness and your joy and your self-control. May we know all of those things in our lives as we get to know you more and more. And Lord, may others around us see that too. God, I pray that the ancient cry of the world when it knows that it's not right would be satisfied somehow this year by how we're living for you and how we're pointing people closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.